Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week, we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. I'm starting this small business. I'm going to sell pies. And that belief has a consequence on your life. That's why people paint and write books, and that'll get me close enough to the multiple choice answer. I guess I'm going to figure it out as I go. Start with your left hand, take small steps, then follow through like a robot shaking hands with the phone. We read in... uh, Okay, so sorry, I'm talking about the advanced expository writing class, advanced nonfiction. Uh, So we read a little bit more about memoirs, and that's what our assignment was this week is is writing one. And I'm not going to talk too much about what we read there because I feel like it's it's pretty much just what we've covered the last couple weeks. I wrote a memoir. And it is pretty rough right now. It's a rough draft is what we had to submit. But are you familiar with the, if I say this, the bathroom story from Costa Rica? I don't think I am. Okay. It's, uh, I mean, I won't. Was I there? No, I, it's just the story I've told a bunch from when I was there. Uh, you weren't, but it's. A pretty wild story uh, about me being at a restaurant in Costa Rica and standing up and walking to the bathroom three different times. And three different times it gets crazier than uh, you could could imagine. So when she gave us the assignment to write a memoir, I I wanted to challenge myself because I kind of do that sort of writing anyway. And I was like, I could, I could knock out something that's like deep and introspective, but I was like, what would be hard? And I was like, it'd be hard to do something really funny. And so Mm. I was right. I'm typing out this story and I'm not sure like where it's at right now. It might get a smirk out of somebody, but I want to write it where it's really funny, but also obviously that it has some sort of meaning or theme to it. So, so that's what I'm working on. And then back to what I'm learning though, I'm reading this other book. Does it wait, does it have to, does it have to have a meaning to it? Yeah, I think memoirs generally do and not in the sense of, gotcha. yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, a moral of the story, but a memoir has more than it's more than just a story. It's supposed like it's a window into somebody's life sort of thing, like a snapshot of their life. Uh, So yeah, stay tuned on that one. It might be, it might be really bad and it might never see the light of day. And then in the other book (laughs) that we are, that I'm reading it's talking about uh, like revising and self editing your work. So one thing it talks about, and this is kind of elementary. It's not, it's not like proposed as scientific research. Here's what we found. It's just this guy giving his advice. But anyway, I think it's interesting. Uh, This writer and 
he's talking about editing. He's talking about uh, assimilating your skills. And Hmm. so what he says is that when you are reading or when you are watching a movie or when an idea strikes, whatever it is, when you get an idea about a new technique to try in writing, he's like, you just have to go do it. Like grab a piece of paper and do it right then and there practically. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't get that extreme, but he, he is talking about you can't like, don't let it sit. Yeah. And don't let yourself have 10 different things that you're going to try at some point. He's like, no, you kind of just, just do it. And then you'll have it written down on paper. And later you can, you'll see that piece of paper and you'll remember what it was. Whereas if you keep it in the idea form, you're just going to feel like you're walking around with 12 things to do that you haven't done yet. And, Oh, I'm I'm stressed out, all that sort of thing. And yeah, it seemed kind of interesting. I guess that, that makes sense. Cause like, like I'm just thinking of my own life too. How many, I, I, I love to like latch onto something and just, go and try it um and then not finish it and i can say from that perspective it does get really stressful because you kind of like have seven things you get constantly reminded about that you're not doing yeah so it's interesting to hear somebody say like you just need to go and finish it and learn i'm this is where i'm kind of taking it learn whether or not you like it or it's a skill you want to continue with and be able to close the book on it I feel like especially as a writer, so that you don't, as you're writing, constantly have these, you know, Marley's ghosts rattling their chains around the room as you're trying to write. Yeah. He, uh, that's a callback to our Christmas episode. Episode eight. If you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he that's that's exactly what he's talking about, though. He the analogy he opens up with is talking about golf when he was learning to golf, when he picked it up and golf is like a sport that is, it's just a, a hundred little intricate movements that you need to nail in order to get really good. And he's talking about how, when he was learning to golf, he had read all the books, worked with all the trainers, watched all the pros, all that sort of thing. And he would, Well, he just wasn't good at it. And what he said was that a pro told him like, hey, when you're when you're actually playing, you can't be trying to do 100 things like you need to practice Mm. one thing at a time. And then when you're swinging, you're kind of just swinging like when you're playing for real, you can't be. You can't have in your head like a checklist of 100 things you need to do because you're just going to be awful. And so that's kind of the connection he draws is when you have that idea and you just just act on it right away, you're like assimilating that. You're working it into muscle memory. And then he says when you sit down to actually write your book, it'll kind of just come out. And, of course, you're going to go back and you're going to edit it. You're going to make it better. He's not saying that just all of a sudden everything will be easy, of course. But he is saying when you sit down to write, you can't 
you can't have, you can't be super bogged down with a list of, oh, here's, here's 12 things I said that I was going to do. You should have already, as he would say, assimilated those skills. And then when you sit down to actually do the thing, you just, just do it. Hmm. I guess it kind of reminds me a lot of like bowling. Yeah. Where like the best I would do with bowling is when I wasn't caring about it. Yeah. But as soon as like, especially what you said about a checklist, as soon as I I have my whole saying, it's like, start with your left hand, take small steps, then follow through like a robot shaking hands with the phone. And that was my whole, (laughs) those were all little individual steps that like my coach or myself, I've kind of seen like helps me be a better bowler. But if I'm trying to be aware of all those things as I'm bowling, I'm always throwing a bad shot. Yeah. And you can probably focus on one of them at a time. But you definitely can't, like you said, focus on all of them at a time. I what it made me think of is uh, playing the drums. So when I was learning, I, I took drum lessons for a little bit and. I mean, it's really it's foggy in my memory. I took drum lessons for probably six months or so, but I was also just trying to teach myself at at home and also from you playing drums and also from being in band. Like I had a lot of knowledge is what I'm trying to get at, and it never really clicked. And then Mm -hmm. I stopped. I'm pretty sure that we went on vacation my drum teacher went on vacation. We didn't schedule anything. I just stopped playing completely. And I about probably a year later, who knows, I just sat down at the kit and all of the stuff I had struggled with, I had I, I just figured it out. Like I could suddenly play mm. a beat. And let me for for clarity's sake, I could play a beat before, but you know what I mean. It was like I had, no, yeah. I had leveled up like in my sleep. And I, I to this day think there was something about what we're talking about. Like I internalized everything I needed to know, but also I just wasn't thinking. I wasn't trying to. You know what this also reminds me of? I read this research like years ago that was talking about drummers since we're on that subject drummers who kind of like for lack of a better term like dance while they drum not dance but get into it like move and kind of flow with Mm. it how much better they are Mm -hmm. and it's this exact thing it's like when you just try to move your arms in the right movements really tight and really uh controlled you get worse and it's actually the drummers who, within reason, you know, let loose and like move with the music, get tighter in their playing. So hmm. it's interesting stuff. I mean, it makes me think of too, um, and this is such a nerdy analogy. Uh, it makes me think of Dance Dance and Beat Saber. Yeah. If you know what Dance Dance Revolution is out there, you're old. I'm just letting you know. Um <laughs> But with Beat Saber, 
which is essentially if you if you don't know what it is, Beat Saber is a it's a VR game where colored bl- uh, bricks fly at you. It's like Guitar Hero, but you're cutting bricks with lightsabers to the music instead of you know playing a imaginary guitar. And in between um, both of those was just dance on the Wii. That's like the evolution. Just dance, 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 yes. and then yep. just dance, and then yeah, Beat Saber, Beat Saber. But so me and me and mom play Beat Saber a lot, and we'll trade my VR headset back and forth. And there'll be times where I'm trying to learn this song on like Expert or Expert Plus, and it just like it's like hitting my head against the wall. I can't figure out how the rhythm works. I can't figure out like how it's wanting me to how it's wanting me to kind of swipe through the bricks without like getting into a weird funky pattern. Um but strangely enough, usually I'll get angry and I'll be like, here mom, you can have the you can have Beat Saber for a week or a couple weeks. And then when I get my VR headset back, I actually feel like I'm better at those songs. Better. Interesting. Yeah. Like I remember the first time the first time it happened, like I was having a hard time getting certain things to click. Like one of the biggest things I've tried to tell mom to play on higher difficulties so she can kind of catch this is like when you first start playing Beat Saber, your arms are locked in at a 90 degree angle at your sides mm-hmm. and you're kind of like swatting at the bricks. Um, but if you let your arms like open up more and be more fluid, you'll notice that especially high level beat saber if you're swinging down through a brick with your right arm it wants you to leave your arm down because the next swing is going to be up mm. and that's why when you have like seven or eight bricks a second coming at you it's easy because you're not swatting seven bricks you're just going like i feel like i'm going to sound like a drummer but you're just going down, up, down, up, down, like down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. Um, and the, the moment where that clicked for me was like after a week of just being like, this game's stupid. I'm bad at it. And then giving it to mom and coming back like a week later and just playing all these songs I had been failing and just being able to beat everyone. And I was like, what the heck happened? Yeah. So I don't know if it's. It might be the stepping away and then coming back. It might be the not being angry. It might be the not trying to be super rigid. It's probably a combination of all of those. But well, and too, like what you'd said, I, I was, I was, the music was happening. I have these things coming towards me, and instead of letting my body engage with it, going back to the golf analogy, instead of letting my body do the thing, my head was trying to tell my body to do the thing. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was like, okay, make sure you do this, this, and this. Okay, well, we just missed those ones. And now I'm back trying to correct past mistakes as a new rhythm is coming towards me. And it just felt like everything was like trying to, you know, work through like a wall of thought. Whereas when I got it back and it was just me playing and I was more lucid and I'd have time to kind of like process things. 
like probably more in a subconscious state actually than like I wasn't like sitting at my dinner table like let me just think about Beat Saber let me review (laughs) the Beat Saber tapes um it just seemed to like click more yeah but I I think I tend to be in my head a lot so if I can get out of my way I probably that probably does me a lot of work right there well this is the connection to what we talked about last week and it's what kind of made this section of the book kind of, you know, flare up a little bit for me. And we don't have to to belabor this because because we've talked about it the last two or three weeks. But you just said a wall of thought. I think that's a really good, mm-hmm. good, good phrase. And whenever we talk about the the idea of you know, the younger generation and figuring out what you're going to do in life and stepping from school into, into some sort of a career. I think that wall of thought is it. And this idea of, of assimilating your strengths, because in school it's all day knowledge every day. And then, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the beginning of it. When you're living online, that's, all knowledge every day. Like I think any, if you picked any just, you know, teen Gen Z person, they could probably tell you how to, how to, you know, grow a big YouTube channel, how to start an online business, how to do all these sorts of things that they have. They have the knowledge. They've seen it done. They kind of, you know, you you see videos online all the time of people talking about like, oh, here's how uh, I'm this big influencer and here's how I did it. There, There is so much knowledge. And if you don't have a chance to actually act on something, actually assimilate your strengths, mm. as this guy is talking about, assimilate those ideas, then maybe that contributes to what we talked about last week, the feeling of just being like overwhelmed with potential. Yeah. Cause you've got all these ghosts of knowledge that you know, you should be trying out or acting on, but instead like you've essentially got so many, you've got like thought paralysis. Yeah. Even worse than like thought paralysis, you have like thought poltergeists. I don't know. Like they just like haunt you. Poltergeist? Poltergeist? No. I mean, I've, like I've definitely ghost. heard it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll add that to my... Well, Tim, are you sure you're really a, an English major if you don't know what the word poltergeist <laughs> means? Also... I learned that one playing Dungeons & Dragons. I'll add that to my list of words and phrases that I... I whoa! Okay, this is what we're talking about. I have just notes on notes on my phone of words and phrases that I hear that I want to assimilate. Oh yeah. I'll hear something and I'll just type it down. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Side note. I do. So is there, I go ahead. I just want to throw this out there because I was so embarrassed last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I said the word ethereal when I meant to say ephemeral and it's been bothering me. Oh, Wait, what's ephemeral? Ephemeral is like, uh, gosh, well, now am, am I going to mix them up now that I issued 
the clarification. Well, okay, so I know ethereal is like otherworldly, right? Right. And like you could say, like, okay, let's say like Frodo's putting on the ring in Lord of the Rings, and he enters into that like ghostly plane where he can like see like he can see but can't be seen. Like that's kind of ethereal, right? Yes. It's like a it's like a I think you said like a pure, like a it's it's better than our world. It's kind of like glowing and transcendent, I think. Okay. And then ephemeral is more like they they are a little similar. I think ephemeral is more like it's a wisp in the air. Like it's here and then it's gone. Oh, gotcha. I think. Like smoke coming off of a candle. Yes. It's ephemeral. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like now I'm I'm even more nervous to I'm, I'm not watching it more. Check you. Yeah, well, if anybody does, <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> um, but what do you think is the healthy balance between hearing about new things and wanting to try new things and having, like, informational poltergeist? Because, like, part of being human, one of the things that is a strength of ours is passing on knowledge and like skill acquisition. So when does it turn into a bad thing? Also me and Tim are in college. We're not like, you're not listening to a podcast of people who actually know the answers to these questions. (laughs) We're just here to give you thought experiments. (laughs) Well, so don't take our answers as like, Oh yeah, that's correct. I think that. My answer to that, based on my experience, is that this is going to sound really, I guess I'm going to figure it out as I go. But I think, I think doing things and maybe even specifically starting things, doing things where it's you on your own, where you try and fail. Like, like over the past year or so, I've started uh, the Substack, which is essentially, you know, I'm trying to start like a small business pretty much. And I, I've, I have started yeah. other, I mean, I guess I won't get into the whole thing, but that has like changed my, my outlook on, I don't even know if it's outlook it's, it's, I, I don't know, when you start something and you're actually doing the things that you know to do, it's very different than when I was working in a job where you show up and you work and you get a paycheck, but you're not, it's not on you. You know what I mean? Like you don't have the weight of like, I started this or this is my thing or any of that. It's like, it's a job. But then when you start something, you're actually putting into practice, you're trying and you're failing and you're seeing what works. And I'm even still, I'm not exactly getting into it. It's like, it's like what I said, I could have told you 
how to grow like any sort of online platform. I could have given you all the advice that I've seen. I could have given you all of even my own experience from doing communications as a career. But when I was doing communications as a career, it wasn't my thing that I started. I was, I was helping to add to like a bigger thing. And, you know, that's a perfectly valid career path. But when you do it yourself, it's like, okay, I don't need to have all a hundred ideas and I, I get stressed out by all of the whatever, but just the whole corny, like taking one day at a time, doing whatever you can do today to make it better. And it really like grounds you, if that makes sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I maybe kind that's of just kind of like the vomited words, but go ahead. No, like I'm trying to pick apart what you said. So I think the two major things I heard you say were for you specifically, now that you are not a part of the process, but the whole process of your work, um, you kind of get to see more of a tangible effect from start from point A to point, you know, point Z. Um, and along with that, you can have all these ideas and thoughts and things you want to work on. But if you are trying to, if you're trying to do all of them at once, or even if you're holding yourself responsible for trying to do all of them all of the time, it limits you. Whereas just having one thing saying like, okay, here's a list of things I want to try. I'm going to try this thing and I'll get back to the others later. That kind of grounds you and gives you more freedom to experiment and grow and try without like this weight of all the things you haven't done yet. Yeah. Yeah. Probably like a story that, that sums it up a lot better. And I'm totally <laughs> becoming like a, a, like a boomer grind set, uh, small business owner before everybody's eyes. But the other day <laughs> on the Facebook, the neighborhood Facebook group, whatever, some kid posted, I don't know who they are, but they were like, Hey, for my first semester of college next week, I'm trying to not next week. I'm going to be going into college for my first semester to pay for tuition I am selling pies and I'm wanting to make some money. Dude, I would have sell pies. Yeah. Well, so I saw this Facebook post, this person saying, I'm starting this small business. I'm going to sell pies. They're probably going to make a couple thousand bucks. But in my head, I was like, I'm going to make my kids do that. Like, I would much rather my kids start a small business and earn $2,000 as opposed to get a job and make $4,000 because the thing that they're going to learn by starting like a self-contained thing is it's what we're talking about. It's like the action of putting into practice, like stepping out to do something that only works if you get up and do it as opposed to, my boss tells me to show up at 8 a.m. So I show up and I kind of just do whatever I'm told all day. Okay. 
I do think that that would be, yeah, you'd probably learn a lot more through that whole experience than through just like working. Um, that is also, I will say, so you though. Yeah, I'm like that. I'm not. That is that is very like. I, I'm thinking to when you would be like going on missions trips and it's like, hey, everyone, I'm going to I'm selling peanut butter that I'm making at home. Yeah, that was an iced coffee. Yeah, both of those things. I'll I'll just say this and then we can can jump. I don't want to keep going on with what I'm saying, but. The peanut butter I added up, I just took like how much. How how many peanuts I'm using that goes into the small jar and the small jar has like how many tablespoons I figured out like the in my estimation, the calories per tablespoon. And it was insane. Like store bought peanut butter is already really calorie dense. But I've realized that after I sold a bunch of it and I was like, man, I hope I haven't contributed to people like gaining 30 pounds. But to what you're saying. It is very me, and I'm not saying that every like not everybody is gonna be an entrepreneur or whatever. And I'm not saying I would make my kids do that, but I'm saying at that in that window of your life, I think that would be really valuable for anybody to just spend a summer like, hey, I'm doing my own thing. I think the lessons you would learn uh, would be valuable. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um. However, I feel like we we may have drifted a little bit away from, well, maybe not. So the original question was, if someone has all these informational poltergeists of, like, recipes they should try, things they should do, like, workout routines they should do, jobs they want to apply for, school they should be doing, like, tasks around the house that need done... And it kind of just creates this fugue of information. Um, like for, you know, for those people out there who are going through this, what would you say would best help them? I forget how we even got on this topic in the first place. We were talking about Beat Saber and drums. Well, and something you were learning. Oh, you're writing. Something in a writing class. No, but to me, and I'm probably wandering around the point, but to me it is exactly one and the same. Is I'm saying to start something, whether it's a business, whether it's a hobby, whether whatever it is, by starting something, you are grabbing the ideas out of your brain and you're you're doing them with your hands. So to me, it is exactly mm. assimilating knowledge and what i'm saying is that you know if you're a person today who's taking in i mean we all know like the reports of like how many hours of screen time everybody's taking in you have so much in your head that is just sitting there and so i'm saying start a business or start a hobby or start something that you are building with your own two hands not for the business sake of it, but for the the purpose of pulling the thoughts down out of your head and actually doing something with it. I wonder, okay, so with, with all of our access to information and technology, do you think 
Okay, I'm going to propose a weird thought. I don't know if I'm sold with this thought. Like, I don't know if I'm pro this thought. But would even more focus in the algorithms that are attached to us when we get online, would even more focus in that degree be better for us? Because, like, I'm thinking of, like, when I get on, like, shorts or something, it's like, here's a power washing thing. Here's how to cook this. Here's this weird, obscure booked fact. Here's how to animate this thing. Here's how to draw this thing. And it's like seven hobbies coming at me. And each of those videos says, hey, you should be, at least to me, says, hey, you should be doing this. Even like, watch the stand-up comedian. I've thought about doing that. Like, here's seven things and you should be doing all of them. Would more focus in that, even if it was just three things, give me less of that feeling of like paralysis to do nothing? Um, to the point where, you know, maybe I'd actually be trying and doing more things and then could move on to a next hobby after that. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. But it was just like a thought I had. That's interesting. And I don't, I mean, obviously I don't know, but I don't think that like, if you're, if you're asking me, I think whether you are watching less, whether you're being served less different interests or whether you're being served more. I don't think that's where it makes a difference. I think the step of taking something or anything and like bringing it into practice and bring it into the real world, that's the divide that needs bridged more so than mm. the amount of, of things like you said that you're being shown, but that's, that's just me. I mean, I don't know. Okay, so it's less what you take. It's less what you're taking in. It's more like what you're producing with what you're taking in. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Uh. Yeah. Very interesting. There's. I could probably. That actually gives me another thought, but I think we're on a on a time limit today, so I should probably kick it to you <laughs> with what you're learning. Um. Man, there's there's two kind of points I'm thinking about going off of here. Um, and I'm not really sure, you know, which one to go with because like I said too, okay, whichever one of these points I take, I'm not like a neuroscientist. I'm in my master's program for counseling. I have fledgling knowledge of this. So if you're listening to this, Treat this like a 10-second video you'd see on YouTube and be like, I, I feel like there might be something I've learned there, but not so much that I'm going to go and start applying this to everything. Might be more to it, yeah. Um, yeah. So for my classes this week, you know, I think last week we finished up reading on the bipolar disorders. This week was like... I'm still have to finish reading on like the eating disorders, but there's also psychotic disorders and semantic disorders, which are like, um, kind of like phantom pain, essentially mm. in psychotic disorders. I think we know what a lot of those ones are. Um, wait, which, which ones are the semantic pain? That's which category? Us uh, like somatic, somatic. Oh, Sorry, I'm gotcha. saying it wrong. Somatic pain. Yeah, yeah. So that's like, um, 
you know, you might have someone who has intense fear of illness, um, or you might have someone who is like, they're like, they're like completely debilitated by like a minor pain, um, because they're convinced it's something else. Right. Um, and once again, this isn't, if you're listening to this, this isn't you like, well, I have been worried about my knee pain for a while. Do I have that? The biggest thing with any of these disorders is it says causes significant distress or like roadblocks to accomplishing social and professional like life and success. Yeah. So you're, you're fine, but your knee might hurt. I don't know. Do some stretches. Um, so what this conversation kind of has me thinking, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through this um, informational poltergeist. Um, and I've, I've been kind of just for myself listening to a bunch of stuff on meditation recently. Um, and it's kind of got me thinking, like mixing these three things together. So another thing I read about this week specifically was like trauma, like PTSD um, and acute, like acute trauma, which is essentially PTSD, but a smaller period of time. Um, even like dissociative disorders is more is is closely tied to trauma more than i sorry i'm saying things i have the curse of knowledge right now um where i know something so i'm saying it assuming you know something dissociative disorders is what might be popularly called like multiple personality disorders Mm. um and how those are related to trauma like they're not necessarily in the same bucket but those buckets are sitting right next to each other um so I'm kind of thinking through how trauma and early life experience um, and even just like our own interpretations of experiences can create these new systems of thought um, and even like systems of survival that we kind of get programmed into our brains that can then affect us on like a much larger note. Um, Like to a degree, that's kind of what eating disorders are, you know, a little bit as well. It's, it's, it's kind of like faulty programming we've picked up in our brain. Now it's not hopeless. It's not that this program, it can't be, can't be reprogrammed. Um, It's just like real interesting to think about. Um, so another another thing I'll throw out there that that ha- really helped me. So trauma, um, I had, I had read in a book. I forget which book it was. Some, some book for school where it said that trauma is as much as trauma is what happens to you. Um, trauma is also how you interpret and internalize what has happened to you, mm. which is why like some individuals can have a traumatic experience, but appear to walk away from it like unscathed. And some people can have maybe a less traumatic experience, but walk away from it with a lot of like internalized trauma. Um, It's it's as much how you interpret that situation as it is what the situation, you know, was right. Um, And think as we're kind of talking about like having all this information thrown at us all the time. And as I'm, reading outside of this conversation for my own school, it just, it's, it has me kind of linking these things together of like 
how like these traumatic experiences that might create like PTSD or that might create like um, even I was reading for one of the disorders that had to do with like uh, I forget the name of it, but it's essentially like depression that comes depression is another thing depression that comes from loss of a loved one. Um, some of the phrases that you kind of use to diagnosis is if a person's talking about how like my life will never be the same or my life is ruined. Um, like there's no like point to living like this loss of someone that they've cared about creates this new interpretation of like, well, life just won't be worth it. Or like it, it creates this new system of thought in the brain that helps process all information coming in um well that i don't know i don't i don't know where i'm going with this i'm just kind of spouting things that no that's that's fine what it makes me think of like to me it connects with what we were talking about and you gave your disclaimer i'm going to give mine of i know like literally zero about about this but what it makes me think of as you're talking about trauma is like or i'm sorry what it makes me think of as you're talking about interpreting trauma is kind of the same thing of you've got these things in you and the act of processing them is how you get them out which might sound very vague but just in my own personal life experience like when something happens to you there are ways of you know you talk to a friend, you're like, Hey man, I just really need to talk to somebody about this right now. Or you, uh, like for me, I can go for a run to process stress, not trauma or you, you know, people, that's why people paint and write books and do all sorts of art is like their form of processing things, not to mention things like counseling. So, I'm trying to, I guess, speak very carefully because I am like 0% an expert in this. But it's kind of the same sort of thing in a sense, isn't it? Like when trauma happens, that's the first event. And then it's sort of in you. But processing it is very loosely like what will help you get it out. Does that make any sense? Oh, man. I'm trying to think through there was this style of therapy. I forget what the exact name was, but it had this like ABC structure to how like we essentially receive trauma or something. And like, I think it was like a was like, it was something like an event um, or it might be like, Something along that lines. I'm butchering this. But it's like, there. first off, there is an event. Something happens. And then B was like belief. Like, so an event happens. Then you establish a belief about that event. Mm. Like, the, the event doesn't come with the belief and the interpretation. You personally apply your own interpretation and belief on that event and then I, I don't think C was consequence, but it's what my brain is latching onto it. Like then there's the consequence of that belief on your life. Um, 
Wait, 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 wait. And it kind of just goes. So A, A, B, C. <laughs> Did you say A was an event happens? I look, I'm not saying I'm remembering the I'm not remembering these three things specifically. Just if that is um, the acronym, that's hilarious. Maybe it's like action or something I, like that. I maybe I'm not questioning that you're remembering it wrong. I'm saying that that's a hilarious acronym. <laughs> it's just like it was something like because it's not like action because with it being like specifically trauma focused it wasn't like what you're doing i mean it could be what you're doing but it's essentially more about like there's something that happens you internalize and create a belief about how and why this happened Mm -hmm. and then that belief has a consequence on your life so it's not just something happens and there's a consequence on your life like this style of therapy would say that the important thing where the most damage comes from is not the event, but the beliefs of the beliefs that are created because of the event. That makes sense um, to me. To I mean, to some extent. So I, yeah. And so I think like when it comes to like therapy and treating trauma and depression, even like anxiety, eating disorders for a lot of these, for a lot of those types of like mental disorders, a lot of what that is is internalized beliefs, which like I feel like are pretty darn resilient and get backed up a lot. Yeah. Like once you have like a dysfunctional belief like that, you you find an infinite number of ways to support that belief however you can. Um so it just makes me think of like this I, I think I just got stuck on it because of this little image of like the informational poltergeist. It's just whenever anything else happens to you, it gets run through this filter of like faulty beliefs. And it also made me think too of like what are effective ways of treating this, like treating these types of disorders. I think the therapy I'm quoting, I might be wrong, is like reality-based therapy, hmm. which I know is kind of like, eh, tr- like there's a kind of like an as- assumption that like people are like, it's good, but it maybe isn't also the best. Right. Like some things have been kind of questioned about it. But part of reality therapy is like, oh man, I'm really throwing a Hail Mary on remembering if I remember stuff exactly from a year ago. If I'm remembering correctly, reality therapy, part of it is literally like the phrase is like you connect, you you create this emotional, like you collect these emotional snapshots. So where are these people creating these beliefs from? What are the moments in life that are creating these beliefs? And then you kind of like test those beliefs. You you kind of push on them to see if they're actually true you help the person establish a new system of beliefs based on snap like snapshots from their lives. Um, it's it's essentially all about taking these emotional poltergeists and putting them out into the sun and saying, "Is there anything actually here?" Like, if we're if we're structuring our our lives 
uh, around these poltergeists? Like, what is their actual substance? Or are these events that happen to us for good or bad, like, are they giving us faulty beliefs? That's then creating this consequence. So to kind of put this through a system, maybe like in high school and in middle school, you had people make fun of you because of your weight, or maybe you simply were like watching media and saw these people who looked very beautiful and very different from you. Maybe you were online and you you read an article about how, you know, being able to control your appetite is this incredibly powerful thing and will make you so much healthier. So here's these events that happened. Here's an event that happened, A, and uh, that then you begin to internalize those things into beliefs about yourself, about how the world perceives you. Um, and those beliefs then lead to a consequence of maybe you limit your food intake. Maybe you become like bulimic or anorexic. Um, maybe it doesn't lead into like an eating disorder. Maybe there's just a sense of depression that comes from that, or maybe even like social anxiety. Like, so the therapy would then be going back, discovering those events and like what happened, questioning the beliefs that come with that by looking at other beliefs around. And then hopefully those new established beliefs lead to new consequences. Now that's not just like a, that's not like Beat Saber where you just take a week and sleep on it, and you come back a completely new person. I, I think that's really hard work. Um, but I think it's a very useful thing, even as we're just kind of going through our own lives, like considering, you know, what are the snapshots and the things that we hold on to? Um, and how can we get to a place where we can change our beliefs to change the consequences, you know, going on in our lives? Um I don't know. Well, rambled done (laughs) hearing it explained that way. I don't really know what the problem is that people would have with that, except for maybe that it's a very simplistic way of looking at things. Like just, just, you know, stringing it through ABC. Maybe that would be the criticism of it. I think the criticisms were less with I'm giving you the more technique side of reality based therapy. Mm-hmm. I think it was more through the broader therapeutic understanding of people in general that was maybe a little too like one note. Yeah, like the like I think a lot of like the the worldview of reality therapy was like well, people whose lives are hard they just got wrong beliefs. Right, right. Um, and I think that's where some of the criticism was of like, well, no, there is sometimes people's lives are hard, not just because of their beliefs. Sometimes people like can't afford a good house because of, you know, redlining. Or sometimes, you know, people are going home to abusive situations. Like that that doesn't have to do with their beliefs. Like those are like situations they can't escape from. So I think the techniques of reality-based therapy are 
are good um, and could be applied to people's situations. But I don't think every person should be forced through that lens as a way of understanding, you know, their lives. Yeah. It kind of, I could see that being used to kind of, I mean, really, I guess just to to like gaslight people. Like if you do have, if you do have somebody who is in like a really, really bad situation, like objectively, I could see the framework you're talking about being applied to be like, well, your, your beliefs are just wrong. Like, let's just get you thinking positive and then uh, you'll be all good. Like, this is your fault for not believing well enough when reality is like, oh, mm-hmm. no, they're actually like in an awful situation. Not that it can't be improved through uh, different thoughts and different beliefs, but you also can't blame everything on a person's wrong belief. That might have been what you what you already said. Yeah. No, but then ironically enough, in that in this imaginary situation, you're kind of honestly potentially leading to more trauma. The event being your therapist telling you your situation's not bad, you're just bad. Right. At 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 feeling good. So that creates a new belief of that can create a belief of, oh, my situation's not bad. I'm just bad, which then leads to even further consequences, like, going forward. Um, so, but that's why you have a tool. That's why you have a little Batman utility belt of techniques and therapy. But also maybe don't latch on to reality-based therapy as, like, your therapeutic understanding of the world. Like, consider it a helpful tool. It might, if I'm, if I'm. Remembering right, reality-based therapy might be Cleveland-based. <laughs> nice. Like that might be Strong. a thing from around here. <laughs> well, everybody listening, just remember it's as easy as ABC. <laughs> An event. An event. Belief and consequence. I feel like that's how I remembered something for an exam. Well, speaking like, yeah. Actually, I'm what would I Google? What would I Google to look it up? Uh, just Google like reality-based therapy ABC. Oh, no. We're fact-checking me live. This is where it all crumbles. <laughs> uh, I found something. I'm scrolling. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I found it. Let's Let's clear the air here. Although this is pretty weak, too. They, according to Healthline.com, A is adversity or activating event. Activating event. I just changed activating to, to and. and. Okay. That, that, that uh, clears, clears that up. Yeah, I think that's a classic richism where I'm like, activation sounds like a big word. I could just remember and. Right. And that'll get me close enough to the multiple choice answer. Hey, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, we host this episode and all of our episodes over at our Substack, Coming Along Nicely. And Tim also does some writing over there as well. It, I'm a little biased, but it's pretty great. You can find him at As It Were or at nicely.substack.com. We'll see you guys in the next one.